Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is KSL's Religion Today, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner, on KSL News Radio. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Last week, I ran into two individuals who had questions about the location of the events in the Book of Mormon. And I had a fun discussion with each one of them. One was by email and one was in person, a wedding reception. The interesting part of it is that this is kind of a divisive issue within the church. And so what I'm going to say today is information. And I can give my opinion, but if someone wants to hold a point of view about the location of Book of Mormon events that's contrary to mine, I still think that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their own point of view. So as we start off here, I wanted to say that if you've been listening for a long time, you've probably heard points that I've made about Book of Mormon locations. Today, I'm going to look at some different ones that I've not spoken about before on the radio, some of which I I think are absolutely dispositive. Actually, all of them are pretty dispositive or I wouldn't bring them up. But here is a beginning point. If you are looking at information, archaeological, linguistic, whatever kind of information you have that tends to support the Book of Mormon being in North America, you should ask yourself the question, is there corresponding information about Mesoamerica? Because if both have the same information, then that doesn't favor one or the other. It's only when you find information that supports the Book of Mormon that is found in one location and not the other that you really have something that is worth looking at. So start off with that point in mind. Let's jump into something that is rarely discussed. We know for certain, because we have the Book of Mormon, that at the very least, the Nephites were literate. They kept a record from the time they arrived until they were obliterated in the final battles. We have a written language, actually a number of them, in the form of glyphs in Mesoamerica. 
there are several different Native American tribes in Mesoamerica that have written language. Let's move to North America. There are about 269 Native American languages north of Mexico. The major groups are Algonquin, Iroquoian, Suian, Muskegon, Tamuka, and Yuchi. All of those groups were illiterate. They had no written language, none. There is zero Native American written languages north of Mexico. This is true from before the time of Columbus until after the time of Columbus. So that's a point that's very important to make. Some people will say, well, what about the Bat Creek Stone and maybe some other examples of Hebrew writing in North America? Well, the Nephites and Lamanites never wrote in Hebrew. As a matter of fact, we know from Mormon chapter 9, verse 32, that they had altered their language and none people other than them, quote, knoweth our language. And so there was no writing that would be associated with the Book of Mormon peoples that would have been written in Hebrew. Here's another interesting point. Leprosy was completely unknown in North America. There were no Native Americans that ever had or contracted leprosy. We have no record whatsoever of that. However, in 3 Nephi, chapter 17, verses 7, 8, and 9, we have this comment by Jesus. Quote, Have ye any sick among you? Have ye any that are lame or blind or halt or maimed or leprous? Bring them hither, and I will heal them. For I have compassion upon you, and my bowels are filled with mercy. Close quote. Clearly, according to the Book of Mormon, Leprosy was a significant illness in Mesoamerica. There has never been any leprosy ever in North America. But we do have record of leprosy before the arrival of Cortez, before the arrival of people from the... uh, uh, east of the Atlantic, shall we say. One of the things that we know that from is some of the records that were kept by people who lived in the area. The first leprosorium was opened in Mexico City by a Spaniard conqueror named Herman Cortez. It was opened in 1521. So leprosy had already been around for a long time before the arrival of Columbus. It didn't just appear in the 20 years between 1492 and 1521. It was around in Central America. No European explorer or colonist ever mentioned or described a disease or any condition that could be confused with leprosy among Native Americans anywhere on the North American continent except in Central America. One of the next points that I wanted to bring up that that I think is a fascinating one is the idea of large cities. We have descriptions in the Book of Mormon of very large cities. 
We have record in the Book of Mormon in Helaman, chapter 8, of cities made of cement. We have records in the Book of Mormon of there being many, many large cities and of great populations in them. As a matter of fact, in the final battles, there were over 250,000 Nephites alone who were killed. And the problem with trying to place that kind of a final battle anywhere in North America is that the largest known group of Native Americans in one locale was the Cahokia population in Illinois. And it was in the 13th century A.D., so 600 years after the Book of Mormon period, that it reached its zenith, and it had maybe 10,000 to 30,000. And so you cannot find any location that had anything remotely close to the populations that are described in the Book of Mormon in North America. But then you get to South America, and you can find that. You find... Teotihuacan, which as a single city had well over 200,000, probably closer to three or 400,000. We also have descriptions now from LIDAR technology, which is basically something that looks like radar from the bottom of a plane from 2018, done by the National Geographic Society that showed just in the Yucatan Peninsula alone over 15 million people living. This is more like the population densities that we find described in the Book of Mormon, and it is not found in North America. So here's what we say about population Found in Mesoamerica? Yes, absolutely. Found in North America? It is just not there. So when we come back, let's take a look at some more information that's not often discussed about the location of the Book of Mormon peoples and events in the Book of Mormon. And by the way, if you have a question or comment about this show on the other side of the break... We will uh, give out that information, so stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be right back. Religion Today with host Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Today we're talking about the most plausible location for the events in the Book of Mormon. 
If you have a question or comment about this program or any other program or religious question, feel free to send me an email. I'll be happy to respond. You can send it to martinstanner at gmail.com, M-A-R-T-I-N, initial S like Sam, Tanner at gmail.com. We're back, and I promised before we left to talk about some more of the lesser-known details about the descriptions in the Book of Mormon about the people that are described within it. And when we left, I I had mentioned the LIDAR, the LIDAR National Geographic uh, laser scans in the Guatemalan jungle. Here's a quote from National Geographic, February 1, 2018, quote, what's being hailed as a major breakthrough in Mayan archaeology. Researchers have identified ruins of more than 60,000 houses, palaces, elevated highways. And let me jump in right here. Highways are described in the Book of Mormon as being an internet interconnection of highways between cities. There is no such thing as highways that were ever built by Native Americans in North America. All right, so moving on with the quote. Elevated highways and other human-made features that have been hidden for centuries under the jungles of northern Guatemala, meaning the Yucatan Peninsula, using a revolutionary technology known as LIDAR, short for light detection and ranging, Scholars digitally removed the tree canopy in aerial images from the now unpopulated landscape, revealing ruins of a sprawling pre-Columbian civilization that was far more complex and interconnected than most Mayan specialists had supposed. And it goes on and describes how the estimates went up from approximately 5 million during Book of Mormon times to 15 to 20, some estimates as much as 25 million people in the Yucatan Peninsula. That, interestingly enough, is more than lived in Europe, all of Europe, during that same time frame. Here's another fascinating point, which I alluded to briefly a few minutes ago. Cities and houses made of cement. Native Americans did not make cities and houses of cement in North America. Nowhere. But it discusses them in Helaman chapter 3, verses 7, 9, and 11. We know that Harvard, BYU, and Catholic University excavations at a city called El Mirador, which was around earlier than 550 B.C., which is about the time that the Book of Mormon peoples came and remained for centuries, was made almost exclusively of cement. It's quite amazing. And some of these cement buildings were quite amazing, just just exquisitely done in cement. Here's another one that's not often discussed. If you go to Ether chapter 10, verse 6, it talks about elaborate thrones. Do you remember any descriptions of Native Americans in North America having thrones? 
They did not. They were nomadic peoples. They did not have a palace or a throne. And yet we have elaborate Olmec stone thrones in Mesoamerica that date to about 2300 BC and match the statements in Ether chapter 10, verse 6, where it says that Riplakish did erect him an exceedingly beautiful throne. We also have other examples of thrones after that that date to about 110, up and through about 110 BC. Another interesting point is the way people dressed for battle. In Alma chapter 43, starting in verse 19, and in Ether chapter 15, verse 15, we have descriptions about head plates and head shields. You have descriptions of breastplates and arm shields and thick clothing. You also have descriptions in the Book of Mormon of scimitars, which are curved swords found in the Middle East. No Native Americans in North America had head shields or breastplates or arm shields, and they also did not have scimitars. They just had different kinds. Now, here's a fascinating one that many people just read right over. In Alma chapter 17, starting in verse 37, you have this fascinating description of Ammon protecting the king's flocks. And as guys come to to take the flocks to to rob the king of, of his animals, what does Ammon do? He hacks off their arms. Now, that sounds a little odd. Well, why, why wouldn't he just stab them or do something else but hack off their arms? And then the story gets even more strange because the king's men scoop up the arms and take them back. They take them back to the king to say, look what this guy Ammon did. Now, do we have any examples in North America about severed arms being used as battle trophies or to prove what was done in battle? The answer to that is no, there's no such thing. However, in Mesoamerica, there is actually in the National Museum of Mexico City, there's this big mural called the Market at Titiloco, which depicts a severed arm that was being held by an Aztec warrior to barter for something. This was painted by Diego Rivera in 1886, and he was very meticulous in the way that he researched the background for his arms. It's a little bit like the Arnold Freeberg of Latter-day Saint lore, who meticulously researched the, the things that he painted. And that is evidence that in Mesoamerica, severed arms were a real thing. Very, very odd. Very, very strange. And then you get to something that is also not looked at very often, which is after the 
crucifixion of Jesus, you had these great uh, upheavals that look like volcanic eruptions that are described in Third Nephi chapter 18, starting in 18 through 21. The reason they look like volcanic eruptions rather than hurricanes is because there was a vapor of darkness. There was something that was so dense that you couldn't light fires or candles. And that's described in the Book of Mormon. That's the same kind of a thing that you saw in Mount St. Helens eruptions in 1980. You also have those kinds of events that happen when there are other volcanic eruptions. Were there volcanoes? Does anybody know of any volcanoes in the northeast United States? Answer, zero exist. But on the Yucatan Peninsula and vicinity, there are many that actually exists. So where does all this leave us? I believe that the Jaredites are the Olmecs, the Olmec civilization from about 2500 BC to maybe 400 BC or so. And I believe that the Mayans equate to the Nephites and Lamanites, and they were from about 600 BC or thereabouts to about 950 AD, according to scholars. We'll leave it at that, but to me, these are almost incontrovertible evidences that the events in the Book of Mormon happened in Central America and not in North America. Join me next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.